You can grab a seat. So good to see you this morning. Welcome to Mariners. If this is your first time here, my name is Eric. I'm the senior pastor here and really honored that you are here. On your way out today, you will get a chance to, to pick up some of our, our Christmas invite cards, which aren't just, just to remind you of our services, but there are to help you invite friends and family. So we're going to have 11 Christmas services over a uh, four-day period of time. And some are like, Eric, are you, te- are you teaching all those? Are you, are you smoking something? Like, what's going on? And I am teaching all of them. Thank you for the encouragement. And, and I'm excited because it's going to be an incredible service. Uh, we've been praying for this service and planning this service for, for many months. And we're excited about the opportunity to celebrate Jesus, but also to introduce friends and family to who he is. And so let me just tell you when the services are. We have them on Saturday. It's, it's really our regular weekend services plus additional ones. So Saturday at 5, Sunday at 8.30, 10, 11.30, and then Monday the 23rd at 3, 5, and 7, and then Tuesday the 24th at 1, 3, 5, and 7. So 11 services. You choose the one that you can bring your friends and family to. Obviously, the, the, uh, the services on Christmas Eve tend to fill up the most, but um, you, bring, uh, you bring people whenever it's best for them, and we'll have a great time celebrating Christmas. So we are in a series called Announcing Christmas. Last week, we looked at the announcement of Christmas in Genesis chapter 3, because some people, and, and even a logical person who is new to the Christian faith, or maybe been a Christian for a while, could look at the Bible, and, and it's, it's two-thirds of the way through before you get to the Gospel of Matthew, And in the Gospel of Matthew is when the account of Jesus' birth is told. So you could think, you know, you get through this much of the Bible before you get to Christmas. And what we're finding out last week, this week, and next week is that the beauty of the Christmas announcement, the glory of the Christmas announcement, it was actually, it's thread throughout Scripture. We saw last week that Christmas did not begin in a manger, it began in the garden. And this week we're going to see that Christmas doesn't begin in a manger. It actually is first, you see it on an altar. We're going to see this in Genesis chapter 22 today. And so we're going to see in this announcement about Christmas that Christmas really is an announcement for your joy. It's an announcement for your happiness. Now, people will debate whether Christmas makes them happy or Christmas makes them sad. If you Google Christmas makes me sad, you will get 347 million responses by Google. So there's a lot of articles, there's a lot written on why Christmas does make people sad. And some of you, listen, I've had conversations on the patio this week and last week, and there there is sadness from real life stuff happening that Christmas can make people sad. And one psychologist, Ken Duckworth, said this, holidays are a great example of expectations exceeding reality for most people. So why are we sad? Well, we can expect that Christmas dinner with our family and friends is going to be here, and the reality is here, and so there's, there's some sadness. Or we can expect that the office party is going to be this awesome, and it's here, and so there's some sadness. And so we sometimes don't see the reality of our expectations come to fruition, and that can cause us to be sad. And so if you Google Christmas makes me sad, there's lots of articles you can read. But if you Google Christmas makes me happy you will see 3 billion responses. So more people are excited about Christmas. And if you Google Christmas makes me happy, you'll see articles saying, hey, this is why people put up Christmas decorations. And there's even debate on the reason that some of you put up Christmas decorations early is because you're happier than the rest of us. That's what some articles say. Uh, So how many of you did it? How many of you put up Christmas decorations pre-Thanksgiving? 
Yeah, some of you are booing those people, which is, it shows that we're sadder than, than they are. Um, I've lost the battle at my house. My wife is one and we put up decorations early. Steve McCown, a psychoanalyst, he said this, in a world of stress and anxiety, which our world has plenty of, people like to associate to things that make them happy. And Christmas decorations evoke strong feelings of childhood. So he's saying this is why people put up decorations early and you can do it. Now, some people go overboard and they over-decorate. Our pastor of youth ministries, Doug Fields, this is his truck. He, um, <laughs> he's over, I'm joking, but this is an over-decorated truck. This is a picture of Kenton's house, by the way, our pastor emeritus. Um, he's not the one decorated, he's the one saying ditto. <laughs> ditto. Just what he said. But notice it's all caps, like, like Kenton is yelling, ditto. He's just, you know. And so we, uh, some of us like to put up Christmas decorations because it makes us happy. But here's the reality of why there's so many articles about happiness and sadness over Christmas is deep inside we long, we long for happiness. And the reason some put up decorations and some avoid decorations is really the same thing. We're doing what will cause each of us to be happy and situations in your life change. And so some years it could be a happier season and some years it could be a more sad season. But the reality is we look, all of us look for happiness. Blaise Pascal was a famous philosopher, mathematician. He's, his works are still recognized. And after he became a Christian, he became a theologian. He said this about you wanting happiness. He wrote, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. So he says, everyone in here, there's no one in here who is excluded from this. Every single person seeks happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. So here's what Pascal is saying. Some people go to war to find happiness. Some people avoid war to find happiness. Some people put up decorations to find happiness. Some say, I'm not putting them up because it reminds me of some painful things, and they do that to find happiness. Some go to the party to find happiness. Some avoid the party to find happiness. But all of us at all times, Pascal is writing, all of us are looking for happiness. We're all on a quest for happiness. But then he said this, and this has become a famous quote. You, perhaps if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard the phrase, a God-shaped hole in all of us. It comes from Pascal's statement right here. Though none of us can help since this infinite abyss, so the infinite abyss inside of you to find happiness, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, only by God himself. So you have an infinite abyss, this infinite hole, this infinite longing for happiness, and a finite thing can't fill that. Only an infinite God, only an infinite object, God himself, can fill it. And you're going to see today that Christmas, this announcement we're going to look at in Genesis 22, it's really an announcement about your joy. It's an announcement about your happiness. But you've got to press in to see it. And so we're going to look at this very popular story. And maybe you've read this story before or you've heard this story before. It's a controversial story because it causes us to ask, what kind of God is this? But you're going to see if you press into the details of this story that at the very end there's this one statement and it's on an altar 
But it's this one statement that announces Christmas hundreds of years before Christmas gets here. So Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be. And the central figures in this story are Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is one who God has chosen to be the father of the Jewish people, the father of Israel. And he promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, but yet Abraham can't have a son. He, uh, he and his wife are having trouble getting pregnant. And years, decades after the promise that they would have a child, they have this son named Isaac. And so, of course, you're going to love this son deeply, this one you longed for for many years, and then you're going to see this staggering story. It's on the screen. It's also in the bulletin that you were handed when you came in. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. <coughs> Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men, his servants, and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. This this is a story that causes us to ask a question. If you're new to the Christian faith, I totally get that you would say, what kind of God is it that you people worship? I mean, this is a crazy story. So there's a couple of things I want you to understand about this story before we keep reading. You're going to see, but I want to say it, I want to say it clearly on the front end before you read the rest. God had no intention of hurting Isaac. You're going to see that the whole plan was not to hurt Isaac at all, but that God was using this for Abraham to show, to reveal to God that Abraham trusted the heart of God even when the mind of God didn't make sense to Abraham. Even when the instructions or the plan made no sense, that you could still trust the heart of God, which really is a picture of what it means to be a Christian because sometimes it is, it is hard to trust the mind of God, the plans of God, because we see things that don't make sense. We, th we see things that, that trouble us. E even as I was preparing this sermon, I'm talking about joy. I know because I've had conversations with many of you on the patio where there's deep pain in your life in this moment. And here I am, the preacher, saying Christmas is about joy, and you've got struggles, real issues in your life. And so in this story, you can see that what God is doing is he's seeing if Abraham's going to trust the heart of God, even when the mind of God doesn't make any sense at all. But this command to Abraham would have actually made sense to Abraham. He would have understood that someone had to pay for all of his own sins. Now, let me try to explain culturally what Abraham would have heard. In this culture, in Genesis 22... The firstborn son in a family received all of the blessings of the family, received the majority of the inheritance. If you were the firstborn son, you got all of the family. You got all of the family privileges, but listen, you also got all of the family responsibility, which means you could, as the firstborn son, pay for the justice that was due the family. You not only received the privileges, you received or you could receive justice that was due the family. And Abraham knew he had done some shady stuff that needed to be paid for. 
I mean, when you read the story of Abraham, it's actually really good because it reminds us that all of the, the characters in the scripture are broken just as we're broken. But Abraham did some crazy, shady things. He one day decided to ask his wife, Sarah, to pretend to be his sister and encourage her to, to go hang out with another guy. Okay, uh, he, when God told him that uh, you would have a child, Abraham laughed at God. He laughed at God. When God said, you're going to have a child through Sarah, Abraham took matters into his own hands and slept with his servant and decided that would be the way he would have a child. So he had done some things where he didn't trust the providence of God, and he understood that I should pay for my sins, that there should be a sacrifice for my sins. But yet he also knows God's the one who promised Isaac to him. And so Abraham's in this moment where this does not make sense. How is God going to make this work? How is God going to be good to me because he's always been good to me? And how is he going to be just where my sins are paid for? I want God to be both just and good. I want both. How is this going to work out? I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, imagine if you're Abraham, how is this going to work? So he just keeps walking and he's trusting the heart of God even when the mind of God isn't clear. So let's keep reading. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Now, if you have a pen and your Bible open, you may want to underline that phrase, we'll come back to you. It's huge. Because Abraham is saying to the servants, we, Isaac and I, we will come back to you. So he's believing that at the end of this story, Isaac's going to still be alive. The book of Hebrews gives us further insight into this. Hebrews is in the New Testament, and the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. So this is what Abraham's thinking. I don't know how this is going to work. God's asked me to do this unthinkable and sacrifice my one and only son. But even if that happens, some kind of way, God's going to still be good and raise him from the dead. That's what Abraham's thinking. Now let's read. Listen, this is about to get painful to read. And the, re I'm, it, the reason this is in here, I've wondered, why is it so detailed as I read this? It's detailed because God is wanting to show us something more than the story of Abraham and Isaac. He's wanting to show us. Someone asked me after the first service, do you feel like it, it, it helps me understand what God thought when he was sacrificed for me? I'm like, bro, absolutely. That's exactly what God's doing. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father. And he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. What is going on here? There's a lot written about what Abraham thinks about this moment, but we need to even think about what Isaac thinks about this moment. 
Isaac is, many theologians believe, 14 or 15 years old. Abraham's an old man. Remember, he, he had a kid when he was really old. Isaac could beat up his dad. Isaac could run. But Isaac is laying himself down on the altar. He's trusting his dad and he's trusting the command of God. This does not make sense. But notice what happens next. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son, instead of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. And so here's the moment where Abraham's like, this is it. God is both just and good at the same time. My sins deserve to be punished. But he's still good to me because he gives an, another sacrifice in the place of my son. There's another sacrifice. God is just. My sins can be covered. But God is also good because there's someone else offered other than my own son. There's another sacrifice. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will... Indeed, bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Now, I want you to look at this one phrase. This is the Christmas announcement. Maybe you read this story before and you haven't seen the Christmas announcement, but here it is. And by the way, when this was announced, God knew you. He knew you would be blessed by his offspring. You were thought of in this announcement. All nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. This is the angel telling Abraham, there's going to be one that comes from your lineage, from your offspring, and he is going to make people happy. The word for blessed can be glad, joyful, happy. He will make people happy from every single tribe, tongue, and nation. Here's an announcement for you. If you're a Christian, this was an announcement about you in Genesis chapter 22, that you would be made happy by the offspring of Abraham, which is Jesus. So there's three things in that announcement. Joy, you'll be made happy. All nations, so all people, through the announced one, through the Messiah. Does that make sense? I can start over if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, need, I need you to press it. There's three things we see. I want to hit this real, real fast in the next 15 minutes. Okay, joy. The announcement for Christmas is an announcement about your joy. When the angel says that people from every nation will be blessed, will be happy, God was already seeing you. He was already seeing you and realizing that you would be made happy because of the one who would come, that you would be made joyful, that you would be glad because of Jesus. And this is good news because the world has promised us things that would make us happy or things that would add value to our lives, and they never satisfy us. They never do. It's crazy, even when you look back and see announcements and, and marketing copy and advertisements um, that the world gives us of things that will add value to our lives and we find that they don't. Here, here's an example. Here's a cigarette advertisement from the 40s. 
20,000 physicians say that Lucky's, this cigarette, are less irritating, they're toasted, they're good for you. Now, years later, decades later, we won't see a doctor saying that cigarettes are actually good for you. Whether you enjoy them or not, no doctor is going to say this is actually good for you. And so we see the longer we live, those of you who have lived longer than the rest of us, you've seen lots of empty promises of things that would make you happy that haven't. Here's a recent one. We have now in, in our pockets, all of us, these devices that we were promised, man, this, this, will inc- this will make your life better. It will increase your connectivity. It will increase your community. You'll always be connected. You'll always be tapped in. Jean Twang from San Diego State University, she did a, a landmark research study in just recent years called iGen, where she interviewed current teenagers and young adults who grew up born after 2007 when the iPhone came out. So their whole life, their entire life, they have been connected, their whole life. They grew up connected. And what she concluded, that the promise of connectivity, the promise of this has not made us happier. In fact, she says of iGen, or you could say Gen Z, whatever you call that generation, that they are the most anxious, most depressed, and less happy generation in American history. That the promise has not delivered has not delivered, but we still, because we look for joy, all of us, like Pascal said, all of us look for happiness. We run to these things hoping they will make us happy, and we find ourselves often addicted to things that don't make us happy. Some theologians have said that all of us are addicts, that all of us are, that sin is much like Addiction. Some of us get addicted to a substance. Some of us get addicted to our career. Some of us get addicted to uh, how much influence we have. Some of us get addicted to material things. But we're all addicts because we're all looking for a buzz. We're all looking for joy somewhere. And psychologists speak of the cycle of addiction. And I want you to think of yourself in this cycle, that it starts like this. You get obsessed about something. And again, it doesn't have to be a substance. It can be anything you think will make you happy. You get obsessed about it, you get it, and you have a temporary rush. So you obsess about a promotion, you get it, there's a temporary rush. You obsess about a relationship, you get it, there's a temporary high. But then, ultimately, it doesn't deliver, so you're left in despair. And this is when psychologists say the cycle of addiction is mind-numbing. We actually, instead of leaving the thing that brought us despair, we go back to the thing that brought us despair to relieve us from our despair. We, we think the career is going to make us happy. It doesn't. And so to find more happiness, we give ourselves more to the career. We think the substance is going to make us happy. It doesn't. And so the cycle of addiction, we actually look to the substance to relieve us from the misery that the substance brought us. That's the cycle of addiction. And we're all caught in it. We're all caught in it if we look for joy somewhere other than Jesus because we're all looking for happiness. We're all nomads. We're all on a search. But here's the good news of Christmas. This is an announcement about your joy. The angel showed up to the shepherds, to nomads, to people who were constantly roaming, who were constantly looking. And the shepherd said this in Luke chapter 2, don't be afraid. The angel said this to the shepherds, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people, for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior is born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. You don't have to keep looking elsewhere for your happiness. You don't have to keep looking elsewhere for your joy. If you do, you'll only spiral away from joy. Joy is here. And you don't have to achieve joy. You simply receive joy. Jesus has come to make you glad. He's come to bring you ultimate joy. This is really good news. This is good news because everything else has failed us. It has. Number one, the announcement of Christmas is an announcement for your joy. Number two, it's an announcement for all people. The angel told Abraham that all nations will be blessed by you. Now, the scripture doesn't teach that every single person is going to receive joy or every single person is going to know God or every single person is going to spend forever in heaven. The scripture doesn't teach that. But what the scripture does teach is that God is constantly pursuing for himself people from every single people group that God created in his sovereignty and in his beauty and in his creative design. He has created all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world, and he relentlessly pursues for himself people from every single people group. And what this means for you is that if you're a Christian, you are going to spend forever, you're going to spend eternity heaven with people from every single tribe, tongue, and nation because the announcement of Christmas is an announcement for all people. It's for all people. It's for all people. It's good news. Now, for some of you, you're jacked about that. For some, you're like, man, I just like, I just want to spend with my only people just like me. You're not going to like heaven. You're not going to like it. Because heaven is going to be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every single people group. When I grew up, I know this was going to surprise you, but when I grew up, my favorite artist to listen to, it, it was the Beastie Boys. They were, they were my favorite. And after September 11th, 2001... They wrote a song after, um, the, after New York experienced a terrorist attack. They wrote a letter to New York. It's called A Love Letter to New York. And they're speaking about, they're rapping about the beauty of a city because a city pulls people from all different people groups together. The diversity of a city. Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and Staten, from the Battery to the top of Manhattan. I started rapping there for a second. I'm just, uh, here we go. Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and Staten. From the Battery to the Top of Manhattan, Asian, Middle Eastern, and Latin, Black, White, New York, you make it happen. We come together on the subway cars, diversity unified, whoever you are. They, they were saying, we love New York because we look around and there's people from different ethnicities and backgrounds, and that is the beauty of a city. But more than a city... More than a city can pull people together who are different from one another. The kingdom of God is put together by our creative and beautiful God who pulls people together from different tribes, tongues, and nations. More than a city is diverse, the kingdom of heaven is diverse. And it's a beautiful kingdom to be a part of. S several years ago, I took my oldest daughter to... Chicago on a, on a daddy-daughter trip. This is several years ago. And we were on the L. We were on the subway car. And in the subway car, it, there's, it's, it's just beautiful. It's just filled with people from different backgrounds, speaking different languages. And the weekend before, I had been speaking at this church, and I took Eden, my oldest daughter, with me. And she saw a church that I spoke at that was filled with just 
all one culture, just all, all white people. And we're in the subway car, and we're sitting there, and I said, Eden, I want you to look around. What do you see? What do you see? Isn't this beautiful? Eden, I want you to understand that what you see now in this moment is a more accurate picture of what heaven is like than what you saw at church last weekend. This, this, this right here. This is what heaven, this is what heaven's like. And, and listen, can I just say, this is why I love what God is doing at Mariner's Church. As we are seeing him pull together people from different tribes, tongues, and nations, different ethnicities. I mean, last weekend, we, we saw over 100 people baptized, and you looked in the baptism pool, you looked in the lake, and it was filled with people from different backgrounds and different cultures. It is beautiful to be here during this season. It is a good time to be here. Because this announcement is for your joy, but it's joy for all peoples. And here's number three. Here's the last thing. And it's through the announced one. And I want you to see this. The New Testament, the very first verse in the New Testament is this. And the reason I want you to see this is I want you to see how the Bible fits together. Not just because I want you to be this Bible nerd who, who mentally knows that because I want you to see how it fits together because it will help you understand that God, not only did he write the Bible story together, he's writing your story to fit together. That sometimes when things don't seem like they make sense, that our God who is good, but he's also just, is able to write this story. And he's writing a story in your life, even in the seasons of pain and even in the seasons of confusion, he is writing this story ultimately that's gonna be glory to him, but good for you. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, first, first verse in the New Testament. You're going to see how this all fits together. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, your offspring is going to come, and all nations will be glad and happy and blessed because of your offspring. Jesus is born. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. In the very same region that Abraham and Isaac walk, Jesus walked. A pure and sinless life. Just as an angel appeared to Abraham and Sarah to announce that they would give birth to a son named Isaac, an angel appeared to Mary and to Joseph and announced Jesus and announced that they should name him Jesus. Abraham and Sarah were instructed to name their child Isaac. Mary and Joseph were instructed to name Jesus Jesus. Just as Isaac was the beloved son of Abraham, Jesus is the one and only beloved son of God. Just as Isaac carried his own wood for his own sacrifice up Mount Moriah, Jesus the Christ carried his own cross and his own wood for the sacrifice up the hill of Golgotha. Just as Isaac willingly laid himself on the sacrificial altar, just trusting the plan of his father, Jesus the Christ willingly laid himself on the cross, trusting the plan of the father. And just as there was a voice that cried out, stop, 
Stop, Abraham, don't harm the boy. Just as there was a voice, there was no voice, was there? There was no voice as Jesus died on the cross and yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was nothing but silence. There was no other sacrifice waiting in the thicket. There was no other sacrifice waiting in the brush because Jesus is the one and only sacrifice. He's the once and for all sacrifice that takes away our sin. He's the once and for all sacrifice. On that mountain, the Lord did indeed provide for us. And we now... And we now are glad and joyful because his sacrifice is sufficient. Listen, this is good news for you. This is so good news for you. Because the message of Christmas for you is not, hey, you want to be happy? Here's a list of all the things you must do to sacrifice to God to get God to like you. Oh, you want to be happy? You want to be joyful? Here's a list of all the things you must do to show God that you're serious. That's not the message of the Christian faith. The message of the Christian faith, listen, is not a list of things for you to sacrifice. It's the good news that God sent the sacrifice. Jesus, the one and only son of God, who is both good and just. Listen, how can God be both good and just? How can he be good to me and yet all all the junk in my life taken care of? Just look to Jesus, the one who was announced, the one who was born here for you. Because of Jesus, God is both just and good. He's just because all of my sin is put on Jesus and all of his grace is given over to me. He's both good and just, and he's good and just for you too. He's good and just. And just as Isaac walked back to the group, figuratively raised from the dead, Jesus literally and physically walked out of that tomb. And he is alive today, ruling and reigning over everything. Why does it matter that you know this? It matters that you know, because sometimes, and some of you in this room, things, the mind of God doesn't make sense. But you can trust this God. You can trust the heart of this God. He's good to you. He loves you. Jesus, he paid it all. He's the once and for all sacrifice for us. Let's stand and let's sing together. Jesus paid it all for us.
is for you. He is for your joy. If there's anything going on in your life that we can pray with you about, maybe this is a difficult season for you or you have a difficult decision to make. We have a team of people who would love to pray with you. And they're over there against the wall with where those lights are to my left, your right. We also have an elder prayer room where our elders will gather and pray with you for, for healing. So physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing. To get to the elder prayer room, you go through the doors in the back and you take a right. In your bulletin today, and we only have this for a couple more weeks, we have our year in giving envelope. And last week we asked you to pray about, about giving, what your year in giving would be. And if you're a guest here, we do not ask you to give. We're just really grateful. We're just really grateful that you're here. But if this is your church, if Mariners is, this is your people, this is your church, this is where God has you, we ask you to give. And I'm so grateful for your generosity. We have seen over the last several months, um, God has, has grown uh, our church, but at the same time, he's also grown us in generosity, which has been really good to see. And as 2020 turns, as we, as we start a new year, we have several bold, bold moves that we're going to make. We're going to launch a new Mariners congregation. We're going to launch a new Lighthouse Community Center. We're going to step in and serve the 34 cities in Orange County more. And so all of that happens. We believe God's causing it to happen, but we get to join him by giving. And so I want you to be a part of it. I want you to, when you hear all the great things that are happening, you know, man, I was a part of that because I, I gave. I, I'm supporting the work of the church. And so there's, there's three ways to give. You'll see on the offer an envelope, and, and I encourage you as we move towards the, the year end of giving for you to, to be involved and, and be generous. Well, let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, I pray for your sons and daughters this week <clears throat> that you will make them glad, that you would remind them that they are yours, that you care for them and watch over them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would bless them. I pray this new week in their life would be one where they experience the peace and joy of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.